oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with the synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now, I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I truly am Kevin Randall. Before I bring on my guest, Ron James, who has a name I can actually pronounce without stumbling in it, I wanted to mention something. Last week, I published on my blog a um, bunch of information, a report, that some of the sightings reported by our naval personnel in, I guess, the Pacific Ocean um, during the UAP discussions may have been drones maybe launched from our competitors, uh, suggest maybe Hong Kong was responsible, that sort of thing. And I just saw a report in the mainstream media uh, confirming this to some, some extent, that, uh, reporting that it, it uh, may be an explanation for some of, the, some of the sightings. I just thought it was interesting that I beat them by a week, and I thought I'd mention that because there's nothing like patting yourself on the back when you do something right. But I wanted that known that um, the... Uh, I would guess the Chinese, since they were talking about the mothership for the drones coming out of Hong Kong, but that the Chinese have developed a drone that uh, can perform uh, a, a little bit better than some of our drones, I guess I should say. I'm not sure that the, the performance characteristics that have been discussed are a result of the technological advance by them or just the observational um, feelings of our naval personnel suggesting these uh, enhanced performances. There may be a combination of both there, but it's something that needs to be investigated, whether it has to do with UFOs or our competitors in the world. I just thought I'd bring that up because sometimes you have to do that. Now, I noticed in a lot of talk shows, the host always has a bunch of cards in his hand and with questions on it. I don't have that. I just have <laughs> one, one sheet of paper here to tell you a little bit about Ron James, who is the Director of Media Relations for MUFON. He's a filmmaker, an on-camera personality, a writer, editor, researcher, contact creator, and entrepreneur. James is the co-founder of MUFON's television an online TV channel, boasting the world's largest collection of commercially free UAP-related material. Really, Ron, UAP? He has created seven feature-length documentaries and dozens of original independent series episodes. His newest film, Accidental Truth, will be released this year by um, 1091 Distribution. I thought that was a misprint there on the um, paper. <laughs> he has won 19 national awards, including four EV awards, which is the extra um, given out by one of the conventions. Um, I don't mean to belittle it. I'm just trying to put it in perspective here. The Telly Award and the Jesus Egregious Award for Excellence in Broadcasting four times. He currently makes his 
shows including bigger questions, Space Time, MUFON Presents, and more. He maintains his own independent production studio in Los Angeles. Ron James, welcome to A Different Perspective. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, it's good good to see you finally. Well, sure. We, we had some trouble getting this show organized. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. There's, there's a couple of things that you brought up uh, just right off the bat. And, uh, you know, one of them is you're kind of joking about my reference to UAP. What a lot of people don't know is that that phrase is not new. It was actually one of the first phrases to describe the phenomenon back in the Kenneth Arnold days. And so that it's been adapted, adopted, you know, by the powers that be to frame the new narrative is interesting, but it's, it's not a phrase that came out of nowhere. Well, I think it uh, was first used in 1949 in relation to this sort of thing, rather than the ultra derogatory term flying saucer. APRO used UA, uh, what was it? UAO, Unidentified Aerial Object, I think, is what they were using. I uh, kind of like flying saucer simply because when you're talking about a flying saucer, you're talking about an alien spacecraft. And the UFO, of course, can be anything that's in the air that you don't, you can't identify. And maybe an alien spacecraft, maybe something else. So I've always thought flying saucer is probably the best descriptor we can come up with uh, to kind of differentiate. Yeah. To distinguish there. I cannot speak today. I'm going well, you know, to they're, they're, they're not always saucers, though. That's a that's a, that's the thing. That's true. That's true. And that kind of leads me to the cliched question, which uh, is always asked of me as well. Uh, what got your interest? I'll say my interest originated with the movie Earth versus the Flying Saucers, which my mother took me to when I was a little kid. And that kind of sparked my interest. What was your uh, introduction to ufos uaps <laughs> whatever we want to call them i've always had a passing interest in the topic as a, as a fan um i remember back in the days when nick pope had a column in ufo magazine i believe it was where he was actually still with the ministry of defense supposedly uh and writing this column where he was this front-facing guy that was really friendly uh to the ufo people and then i remember stanton friedman was a big inspiration for me uh because he was a rational mind that really came to this thing with a scientific approach. And this was back in the very early days of, uh, of my life when I was you know, still a teenager and coming up um, yeah, as a young adult. And then uh, I got involved in media and you know, started my own production studios. And after a while, I ran into Steve Bassett, who hired me to, to do the live streaming and production of his X conference in 2008. And um, I went on to produce a lot of conferences and, and shoot a boatload of content. I did all the media for the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure. We did the live stream and it was my company that provided the video services. And so the three questions facing humanity that I'm a real fan of pursuing is the life after death question, the uh, UFO question, ET, and the nature of reality. And the funny thing is, is that over time, these three uh, topics have kind of fused into where understandings are overlapping instead of being stovepiped like they were um, in the past. And so those are the uh, subjects that I pursue with my ability to create media. And um, I've never seen a UFO. I've had a few strange paranormal experiences, but I really try to take things from a journalistic standpoint and, um, and deliver material to people that is uh, something that the mainstream audiences can absorb and, um, and moves human understanding forward. Do you engage in any investigations in your work as, as a video journalist or a media specialist? Well, it depends on what you mean by investigations. I mean, if you're asking me if I do like the MUFON field uh, thing and go out and talk to people that have been, uh, you know, had experiences or are witnesses, uh, I don't do that per se. But I would definitely say that I've been on a uh, what's now a 15-year investigation uh, into uh, the cover-up and the front-facing people that are uh, supporting it, and that's all going to be coming out in my film. Well, you, let's talk a little bit about your film, if we can. Sure. If, if I remember the name correctly, which I have written down on my sheet of paper here, is Accidental Truth. What, uh, what does that mean exactly? Um, I don't have it right in front of me, but basically I, I, it's a phrase I came up with and I define an accidental truth as information that is revealed through a combination of uh, things that were said 
and uh, facts that were connected that was not originally intended to be revealed. So in other words, you might have somebody who slips their tongue. You might have somebody who says one thing in one place, something else in another place. And then when you look at what you have already as established evidence and you start comparing everything, another fact seems to reveal itself. And there's a lot of that in the film. Well, give me an example of what you mean. I, when you're talking about that, I think about one of the accidental truths would be that uh, something that I'd come up with in the book, Understanding Roswell, where it suddenly dawned on me that Mac Brazel had brought samples of the material with him into the Roswell Sheriff's Office in uh, early July 1947, which means when Jesse Marcel showed up, he would have uh, seen the balloon debris if that's exactly what it was, and there'd have been no need for him to travel out to the, the Foster Ranch near Corona and all that other ancillary materials taking place. And I, that seems to be what you're talking about, sort of an accidental truth. I sort of stumbled on this fact by reading statements by the the, the daughter, what Jesse Marcel had said, and what uh, Thomas DuBose, who was the 8th Air Force uh, Chief of Staff, said about that those events on Sunday, I think it was July 6, 1947. I, that's kind of what I think of as an accidental truth then. Is that is that correct? Um, yeah, that could be construed as an accidental truth. I'm kind of focusing on these front-facing people that have been saying things for years. Uh, so, you know, as an example, in the film, I've got a lot of footage with uh, Colonel John Alexander, who I've interviewed four times since 2008. And in 2008, he was saying things like, well, I really believe that the UFO subject should be something that more and more scientists are able to look at and that it, there shouldn't be this kind of... Uh, ridicule factor around the study of that. Uh, but what we know now is that he was fresh out of the NIDS and fresh out of the work at Skinwalker Ranch. And, and when he was talking about the subject then, he was saying one thing. Now he is admitting to running a program in this, what I call the, 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 the zone that the new narrative is trying to exclude. He actually admits to me on camera that not only did he run a program with access to all of the alphabet agencies uh, during this time that there was supposedly no programs being run, but that they routinely picked up UFOs. Some that They have records of, of, of seeing UFOs on sensors and radars as much as a mile wide, and that this was common. And so this is a tremendous admission that has not been brought into the, into the mainstream. And when you compare it to what was being said, you know, 10, 12, 13 years ago, and then you compare it to what we know now was actually occurring, well, then that to me is a, that that's an accidental truth because what we're dealing with let, here. Let me interrupt you there. I've got to take a break. I've run up against my time zone. I've got to take a break here. I'll have additional information on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And we will be back right after this with Ron James and we'll talk about accidental truth. So please stick around. Oh, oh, oh. This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now, I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Change your vehicle's oil before your summer road trip and save money now with Pennzoil and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic for just $22.95 after mail-in rebate. Save money and protect your engine against sludge and wear with the synthetic oil change. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today or O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now, I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. And we are back. I'm talking with Ron James. When we went away, we were talking about accidental truths when I had to interrupt him, and he was giving us some um, information about uh, Colonel Alexander and his work. Uh, I've met Alexander once or twice. I think we've exchanged books, so I, I know him 
that way, but not very well. And the question I have for you, Ron, um, if I can kind of reform the conversation, is when you're talking about that kind of an accidental truth, couldn't it possibly have been that um, Colonel Alexander at one time when he was working with the alphabet agencies, as you called them, was working with a security clearance, and now he can talk more freely about some of this. So it's not so much that he was, um, well, he was covering things up, but I think it might have been part of his job. Could that be part of this? There we go. Um, well, here's the thing. Truth is truth, lies are lies, deception is deception. Rather, you're doing it because of the security clearance or an oath or some need to honor something, it's still not true. And rather or not, uh, he was able to talk about it then uh, less than he's able to talk about it now. It's still a truth that is being revealed that has not been revealed yet. So well, I'm not I'm not, I, I wasn't disputing the, the fact that it was a truth. I was suggesting that there may have been, I guess, a conflict of loyalties at uh, the first conversation that it was now no longer in, in effect and he can move in a direction that is more aligned with the truth. Well, you bring up a very interesting question because I'm not personally out to examine the moral implications of participating in keeping the biggest, uh, most important secret in the history of mankind from people who I feel deserve to know a heck of a lot more than they're being told. Rather or not you're, you're participating in this cover-up because you took an oath, or rather or not you're participating in this cover-up because you have information that makes you willingly understand that you shouldn't be sharing the information with people. I'm not examining the moral implications of that. I'm not denigrating any of the people that are and have continued to conceal the, the facts from us. Uh, what I am doing is doing everything I can to read between the lines and dig into the statements to help these people get a little further than they're willing or able to go. Um, and, you know, hopefully there's a few barriers that we're dealing with. Crash debris is one. Material studies is one. Uh, the actual admission of what I call the, the A word. Are they aliens or aren't they? Um, we believe that, that, that they do know to a certain degree, a heck of a lot more than they're telling us. And what's really interesting about today versus the past is that we're not talking about people that are dead. We're not talking about people that um, are not known. You know, there's a lot of people believe there's a hidden hand that, that guides the, uh, the entire thing going all the way back to Roswell and before the formation of MJ-12 or a group similar to it with a similar purpose. And so the, the, we have these people that we may never know that know the big picture about what's happening. But what we have today that we never had before is we have front-facing guys that are going on TV, making TV shows, talking on camera that will openly tell you, I'm not going to tell you what I know. And somehow or another, but, but I do know things. And, and, and we believe that. And somehow or another, we've come to accept that. We're like, okay, yeah, you know, you're my buddy, you're a hero, but the knowledge that I seek is in your head. And for whatever reason, you're not gonna share it. And I understand that there's reasons and I'm not impugning your character as a human being, but I want that damn knowledge. And so we're in a really interesting time uh, when humanity really deserves to know more. And we now know many of the people who could be helping us to deliver that. And so if I'm able to gather a little more information than they're willing to reveal through the fact that I've interviewed them several times, I've cross-referenced their statements, I've had them on camera saying things that allude to going beyond what they're saying publicly. Well, I got that fair and square. Nobody pulled me into a room and said, hey, I'm going to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody else. Because to me, that's the devil's deal. Well, and there's too many UFO investigators right now today that have fallen into that. They've been pulled aside and they're like, well, you know, I'm going to tell you this, but you can't tell anybody else. And once that happens to any of them, any of us, we're part of the problem, no longer part of the solution. And so um, gathering this information and doing whatever we can to get it out to people uh, that's that's what the film is all about. And if they're not, if if certain people are not willing to say certain things, 
then let's see what we can get by taking a deep dive into what they have said and also cross-referencing that with what we know and then let the audience form their own opinions about what the answer is and what the truth is. But have you run into people who are saying, for example, well, I've been pulled aside and they've told me this interesting things, but I can't fill you in on it. Um, it's or to have the people story, in the UFO field. Or, or telling you stories about what they have done uh, that turn out to be untrue, meaning uh, suggesting that they're making up the story for their uh, own and uh, their own financial benefit. Well, you know, I get that all the time. Um, and I, 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 I very rarely tend to uh, take that. Um, we're not, you know, in this film, let me, let me, um, let me, let me enlighten you. We're not talking about people like that. Okay. This film features Louis Elizondo, Christopher Mellon, um, it features John Alexander, it features Dr. Michio Kaku, it features Ralph Blumenthal from the New York Times. These are not people that are calling, that are coming out of the woodwork. These are our front-facing guys. Lengthy interviews with Nick Pope uh, talking about the, the, the facts that, you know, him and Lou Elizondo are kind of on the same page with the way they've had to walk these lines and, and um, avoid classified information being revealed. Um, we've got uh, Dr. Gary Nolan. Uh, who is on the record of doing some very interesting studies. We're going to be breaking some information about him and some studies that he's doing that are just over the top, especially when it comes to the experiencer field. So my film does not have the kind of people that we're talking about, the, the, the crackpot that calls me up and says he was the Area 51 base commander. These are the, these are the main guys. Well... You know, there's some controversy about Nick Pope, and I hesitate to bring it up because I, I think the controversy <laughs> is overblown. But there's a suggestion that he wasn't quite as um, plugged in as he is suggesting in today's environment. Well, you got to look at Nick Pope's background. His whole family was was British intelligence uh, back when he was um, on the British Ministry of Defense, running the UFO desk, writing a magazine column for uh, the entire world, nobody was disputing who he was. Nobody was saying, oh yeah, this guy that's writing this column right now that says he runs the British Ministry of Defense's UFO desk uh, is not who he says he was. Nick had years and years where he was dealing with the public openly while in that position. And nobody challenged him. Nobody came out and, and said he wasn't that guy. And, you know, like where Nick's concerned, there's a certain case called Calvine. Um, I don't know if you're aware of it. Fill us in. Because the, Calvine, the audience isn't aware of it. Pardon me? The audience isn't aware of it. The, the Calvine UFO, Calvine, Calvine, people pronounce it different ways. Nick said it's Calvine. There's a story about a photograph that, that hung in the British Ministry of Defense's office in the, in the area where Nick worked. It was a photograph that was taken by two Scottish guys um, in the area of Calvin, and it purportedly showed a uh, giant saucer-shaped object being chased by a jet. Now, Nick had said that that picture should be declassified. When the British, when the British government declassified the UFO materials, the Calvin report was declassified a uh, mimeographed copy of a drawing of this photograph was declassified, but the classification on the actual photograph is not going to be, uh, that, that photograph is not gonna be released until sometime in the 2070s. And so, but Nick saw this photograph. And so, and we know it exists. Outside of him is the information source. So the question for, for him is, what is it about this photograph that you've seen that justifies this kind of classification. And um, it's very, the, the answers get very interesting. So um, that's these cases that, that come up out of the past that now we have present day references for uh, present some new insights that, that we're just not aware of at this point. Like the Blue Room at Wright-Patterson, uh, the Interplanetary Research Group formed by the Army. A lot of people don't know about this stuff, but there's, there's information and documentation that has come out over the years that that points to it and to me the biggest most important aspect that we're missing in this narrative we're being fed right now is the missing years between the end of blue book and the beginning of awesome um, and you know you can look at that lou elizondo i have him in several instances talking about a tip and talking about 22 million dollars 
and talking about how ATIP grew out of ASAP and, and telling the story very, very convincingly. But then we also have, right in the first few pages of Skinwalkers at the Pentagon by, by Litaski and Colm Kelleher and George Knapp, saying that ATIP did not spring out of ASAP. ATIP never had the $22 million. Lou Elizondo was not involved in any of that previously. So we have some interesting stories where it seems like people are having a little trouble getting the story straight. And, and these are the people that are involved. And now when we go and we ask, well, what really happened between the end of Blue Book and the beginning of this, of this program that Bigelow Aerospace was involved in, um, that Robert Bigelow and his uh, various entities, uh, those are the stories that nobody wants to tell. And um, especially within the, the community of, of people that are the, the front-facing people right now, but it's in those years, in those in those stories, in those investigations, in those programs, that the truth has been deciphered to a certain degree and concealed through great effort. And so, if we can crack the lid of proving that these programs exist and be able to name names, who worked on this? What were there really material studies going on? Well, where were they happening? Who was doing them? What did they find out and what can we prove? And well, nobody's let me, done let that yet. Let me, let me interrupt here because number one, I want to, I want to mention uh, uh, Moondust to you because I think it's a program that expand the end of, expand the end of Blue Book to this latest um, investigations and that sort of thing. And then uh, we can talk about where that, that sort of thing is going. Once again, I am here with Ron James. We're talking about his film, Accidental Truths. Uh, we will be back right after this, so please stick around. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now, I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows. So you can do this and this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again. This time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man. I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. And we are back. I'm here with Ron James. We're talking about the, the, and the blue book and the uh, investigations that began just recently into the UAPs. Um, one of the things that you were talking that I was thinking about is um, there was a program began that began in I think 1957, as best as I can trace it down, called Moondust. But it wasn't a project in the sense that they had an office and they had an organization, but it was a code word for the ongoing investigations. And we know it existed and we know it went to at least 1986 when the, when the term was compromised. Uh, through the inadvertent release of documents, I think through the State Department to a fellow named Robert Todd, and then to Cliff Stone, and then to me as well. And I found uh, cases in the Project Blue Book files labeled Moondust. So there was a program that went to 1986, and when they were challenged on this, the response was um, the uh, code word has been changed and is properly classified. So it's a suggestion that beyond 1986 and Moondust as a code ended, uh, something else took over. Did you run into anything like that in your investigations that would explain what happened to Moondust and where what it became uh, after that? Well, there's a there, there, we're starting to get into you know the beginning of NIDS and, and there's a little bit of a gap, but there, there's a lot of that, that that overlaps. But what we found, and and you're I'm sure well aware of that, is that 
they have a way of disguising these programs. They, they can call them their ad hoc programs. They're not officially funded. That way they've got the coverage of being able to say, uh, this is not an official government program. John, John Alexander will tell you that his program was like that. Um, and so that was one way of, of studying the stuff at the same time, they were able to say that they weren't officially studying it. And as far as programs that are going back into the whole process of, of getting materials, information, and uh, debris, anything else that they might have had, and getting it buried into dark corridors of private industry and then administrating it from a very small group of people who have the big picture, stovepiping everything so that nobody really knows exactly what, what they're doing. There could be people studying materials over here. They don't know what it is or where it came from. There could be people studying a propulsion system over here. But very, very few people, we believe, know the whole picture. And, it's, and a lot of this stuff, this is how they've done it. And they've gotten very good at it. I think that right after Roswell, uh, which I do believe was a was incident as described. I've talked to Dr. Edgar Mitchell, and, and you know what Edgar said about it. He looked into it when he uh, when he got back, and he was told that it was absolutely true. And you know it's true. You've did, you're pre, you're the preeminent Roswell guy. So, uh, <laughs> but I think after that, the the whole MJ12 kind of story is probably true. It's it makes perfect sense that they would have, whether it's MJ-12 and those particular people or not, certainly there would have been a convening of top scientists, top uh, philosophers, religious people. Um, well, let me let me interrupt here because you, you brought up MJ-12 a couple of times, and it's my opinion that MJ-12 is a hoax designed by specific people to either shake information loose or to propel themselves into the forefront of the UFO community. But on the same page, I would say that if Roswell was in fact the crash of an alien spacecraft, and that's the direction I, I lean, then some kind of committee would have been exactly. to to um, to investigate it in the in the form of of a, a project or an MJ-12 sort of uh, organization. But I don't think the MJ-12 organization, as it's been described to the UFO community, is, is real. It's something else. And we don't know exactly what that is or who exactly was involved. I think that makes perfect sense, and I tend to agree with you. The um, now I have been told that, M, that that there was an MJ12, that it was real, but that it was more of a group that was focusing on continuity of government and things like that during the nuclear age. Um, this was well, told. Let, let me interrupt again. There was a majestic document that came out in 1952, and it turns about it was a top secret uh, logistics report of what would happen if the Soviets came through the what is the Fulta Gap in. Um, in Eastern Europe, uh, and and it was called Majestic Operation Project. It was the Majestic document. It was not Majestic Twelve, but it was Majestic document. Mm -hmm. So there is. So there was a group studying that that stuff that's been associated with that name in an official capacity. But common sense would tell you, and, and anybody else, that if a crash of an object of unknown origin occurred in that time frame, And we have not only Roswell, but there's a bunch of cases of supposed crashes. Some of them have a lot of witnesses. Some of them you just kind of have to take, uh, uh, you know, with a grain of salt. But there's where there's smoke, there's fire. And certainly there would have been a group convened to study this, look at it, and deal with the implications. Now, whether or not the MJ-12 with the cast of characters that are supposedly part of it. It's been pointed out to me that, you know, these guys might not be the guys that would be brought in to, to run this group. Uh, some of them were very anti-UFO. Um, but certainly there would have been somebody put together to look at the situation and figure out how to manage it. So from that point forward, the, the once it was decided that a secret would be kept and that it would not be revealed to people, then a group with broad powers answering to no one and probably a near unlimited budget was formed and has been running this thing ever since. And so that's what we're dealing with today. And there's a lot of people that believe that this 2017 rollout is part of a uh, thing that was very carefully orchestrated by these people, that the, uh, the release to the New York Times and getting Leslie Keen and uh, 
Ralph Blumenthal to push running the story was part of a coordinated effort. The TTSA rollout was part of a coordinated effort that all of this is being uh, administered and run by hidden hands of the same people that have been guarding the secret for a long time. Some people th say it's not that complicated. Some people say it is, but somebody is, is managing this rollout of information. And now we are at the point where we're finding out that there's internal issues about how much we're going to be told and why and when, and that this has really heated up. So that, you know, the, the story there is who? Who is in charge of this? Who are these people that we don't know? It's not Lou Elizondo. It's not these guys up front. There's a whole group managing this that, that has been doing it for a really long time, and they're in charge of what we're being told. Why did a book called UFOs in the Deep State and it seems to me that this is sort of like the deep state. You've got these people in positions of power in the government who are not elected, who've matriculated upwards until they're brought into the secrets because they're known that they're trustworthy, and then they end up keeping the secrets forever and not really talking about it. And there's some good evidence that that sort of thing goes on, not necessarily through UFOs. And I'd often said that if I was a president, I could break that circle. I could get into it because I'm the president. And I was talking to a fellow named uh, Daniel Sheehan, who was brought in by President Carter, who was supposedly going to break into this thing. Yeah. And he was talking to George H.W. Bush, who was the director of the Central Intelligence at the time. And Carter asked him about UFOs, and Bush had basically said, I'm going to tell you, you don't have the clearances yet. Uh, that yeah. was before he was actually sworn in. But then afterwards, they seemed to stage manage it, so Carter never got back to that. No, the, the story that Danny told me was that uh, George Bush had said that he would read him in if he received the, I think it was the head of CIA position that he was seeking at the time, um, and that uh, Carter refused to do that, and so... Carter said uh, he was bringing his own guy in. Yeah, exactly. Bush, so George Bush, Bush was the head of the CIA at the time, and he wanted to continue on, and that's right. Yeah. Carter said, well, I'm bringing my own guy in, and Bush basically blew him off at that point. You know, you bring up Danny Sheehan. Danny, I, I interviewed Danny several times. He's in my uh, EBE award-winning film, uh, uh, Dialogues on Disclosure, but I just recently interviewed him for this film. And, you know, he gives me some very frank and candid behind-the-scenes information about what's going on in his representation with Lou Elizondo inside the DIA, his efforts to uh, get the Vatican to release its information about the UFO thing, the whole inside story about what happened in the Jimmy Carter years, he was actually granted access to classified Project Blue Book files. He's seen the files. He's seen the pictures. Uh, supposedly, Lou told him that he had actually seen a craft. And when that kind of got out, it was panic mode and it had to be walked back. But I personally believe that that story is probably true. And I think I know where the craft was and, and where it was housed. So... Um, Danny is a very instrumental player in all of this. He has been involved in a lot of stuff. And as things move forward, you're going to find Danny Sheehan being even more instrumental because the idea is to get this whole UFO amnesty thing working so that people that have this information can come forward. So they're trying to set precedence with what Lou is doing. They're inside the DIA um, pushing the envelope of what they can say. And a lot of people will say, well, He's doing this because he wants to do it. It's this thing that he's chosen to do. And other people will say, no, he's still working. The disclosure has to happen at some point, And this is how they're doing it. And Lou is an instrument of that. And, um, you know, I think that I can't say either way, which is true. But the envelope is being pushed. Well, I or at least the out. illusion of the envelope being pushed. I will point out that um, I did a long interview with Danny Sheehan for the book, uh, um, UFOs in the deep state. And it explains exactly uh, how he saw the classified blue book files, not the mm -hmm. files that we see online or the files that are at the National Archives, but the other files that went somewhere else that, that Heineck talked about. Yes. Periodically. And so I, I described that in the book so you can get a good idea of exactly where he's coming from on that. And he talked about seeing pictures of a crash flying saucer with the soldiers standing around. He didn't know exactly where it had crashed or uh, some of those details, but he did. He did see the photographs, and he uh, uh, 
did manage to sneak a little bit of information out of, of this uh, room that he was taken to. We're going to have to take our last break here, I'm afraid, because we're getting right up against it on the clock. Um, this is, of course, Ron James, as we've said before many, many times, and the film is called Accidental uh, Truth, and you're getting a little bit of a glimpse into what it's about and who's going to be participating in it or who participated in it, and a little bit of the inside information, and I think that's something that we're all getting a little bit of as we as we move through our investigations we're learning a little bit more and a little bit more and putting some pieces together and i'll talk about this a little bit more later on in a different show uh we will be back right after this so please stick around finding the right person for the job isn't easy just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations just finished the new sunroom mrs c the best part is i used candy glass for all the windows so you can do this and this doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. And I am back. I'm here with Ron James. We're talking now about uh, some of the insider information that's coming out. Um when we went away, we were talking about uh, Dan Sheehan and what he knows or some of the things that he experienced in his uh, um, uh, interactions with President Carter in, in the UFO community. Uh, one thing before we get into that, though, um, you have a website or uh, something where people can visit to see uh, what all is going on? Well, I do. Uh, I, I do have MUFON television which is a, uh, that's a joint venture between me and MUFON. We've got my original programs. We've got a huge catalog of, of um, UFO content, seven, 800 pieces of commercial free content. Uh, that's subscription based and people can go and, and become members. We have the MUFON symposium coming up uh, next week. It's gonna be live streamed. And if you buy the symposium live stream, you get a year of MUFON television. And you can go to mufonsymposium.com and find out about that. Mufon's been doing an incredible amount of work, uh, and it's really starting to pay off. Is is the Mufon Television? That's not part of your normal Mufon membership. It's a additional charge. There's three levels of Mufon membership. There's the normal, the basic level, and then there's enhanced, and then there's VIP. So when you sign up for the enhanced level and above, Mufon Television is included, and you can also uh, subscribe to Mufon Television without being a member of Mufon. Okay. So anyhow, back to the deep state and the UFO uh, information. Some of this is coming out in your film. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's really, it's not about so much breaking new information. It's about confirming previous information and showing the that the stories that we're being told are starting to unravel in a huge way. Um, one of the biggest things that we're going to be unveiling in the film is pretty incontestable proof of this material studies, crash debris retrievals, and, and things that have been said by very key people that, um, that illuminate this, and then also information that's come out. Uh, I have an explosive interview with Dr. Gary Nolan, who's gone on the record as saying that he's looked at stuff, but then the official story is, you know, this is kind of the, the materials from Jacques Vallée and the stuff that the TTSA had and that kind of thing. Um, but the question is, is that the end of the analysis that he's done? And is that really the, uh, the sum of the materials that he's studied? And his answer, let me put it this way, his non-answer settles the question. Well, um, so you're looking into things that have older cases, I guess, and, and over, uh, from the point of view of people who are still alive today, I mean, I can talk about what... Uh, um, Edwin Easley said to me the the provost marshal for Roswell and that sort of thing, but but Edwin Easley died in the 1990s and you can't go back and re-interview him. You're talking about people who are alive today and involved in this sort of investigation who are talking to you on the record. Yeah, you know the thing is is what what we're doing with accidental truth is taking the new narrative and basically disassembling it to the point where. Uh, what's left is is more of a revelation of, of truth than, than we're officially being given. And uh, so we're not so much going back and, and looking at older cases. We are establishing that these programs existed. We're establishing that, that these studies happened. We're establishing beyond 
and you know beyond a reasonable doubt that this gap contained result bearing um, investigations and programs and then we're looking at what's being said now and what's not being said and getting to the point where we can kind of uh, extrapolate what the truth is uh, which is that's why it's called accidental truth there's things that these guys are walking right up to certain lines there's things that they're willing to say and there's a, a couple of lines that they're just simply not ready to cross yet and so you know Lou Elizondo is involved in this film to a certain extent and it's kind of like, look, I'm going to get you guys right up to the edge and then you're going to have to come out and cross the lines and we're going to have to get to the bottom of officially what the heck are these things and, and how much do we know. And so we're not being told that yet. We're not going to be told that anytime soon, but we're, this film is going to get everybody right up to the line and it's a mainstream film. So it's not made for the 40,000 hardcore UFO aficionados of the planet. They're going to certainly enjoy it. And I think that they're going to think that it's a good piece of journalism, but this is made for the digestion of the worldwide mainstream audience. I get the impression from what you're saying is that you don't think disclosure is coming anytime soon, that we're getting, we're getting information that may lead us in a direction away from disclosure. I, I thought when the Navy footage came out, we were taking steps toward disclosure, but now- Yeah, didn't we all? Yeah, I, I think that we've taken steps back given yeah. what we've been been uh, shown and, and what the recent congressional hearings told us. So yes. I, I get the impression you're you're suggesting that disclosure isn't on the horizon. Well, you know, the congressional hearings were a pretty good example of how to take a 70 year old script and recycle it without even having to do a lot of rewrites. We had Sanford saying the exact same things publicly back in the 50s. Let me, and, let me interrupt. This is General Sanford, who was the Air, Air Force uh, Chief of Intelligence in 1952. For those he literally know. came out and said, do we have these objects that are performing uh, in ways that we cannot do? Uh, they're not ours. They're not our adversaries. And we're determined to come out for the public and find out if this is a threat. And, and then all of a sudden we have the same people saying that we have different people 70 years later saying literally the same thing. Um, some of the other things that we're exploring in the film are the, uh, the patents that supposedly might indicate the presence of this technology. Salvatore Pius, I'm terrible with his name, but he was a Navy scientist who uh, has patented things that could be construed as craft propulsion systems and things that, that could make these Tic Tac UFOs work. But like Dr. Michio Kaku says that these patents are basically not valid. A lot of people think that he's throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. But I just saw an interview with him on uh, the theory of everything where they went deep into the physics. Um, I haven't had a chance to get that analyzed by, by other people, but he definitely, he has some points, but he's saying we have to reinvent physics for this stuff to work. So we're looking at that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, as far as disclosure, I, I was in Washington, D.C. In fact, today, just today, I got a video sent to me uh, that was recorded for us at MUFON by Andre Carson. Now, I was asked, what do you want Andre Carson to talk about? And I said, well, Andre, you opened up the Senate hearings stating that Project Blue Book ended, there was nothing going on until OSOP, and that... Um, and that's the new narrative, unfortunately. That new narrative where there's this big gap that nobody's addressing is the official story that is, that is not true that is being rolled out to the public. And he opened up the congressional hearings with that story. And so I told him in the email, uh, we know this isn't true. How do you address that? So we got back from him today, a, uh, a minute and a half. Hi, MUFON. Love you guys. Uh, he didn't address the question except to say that there's a lot of stuff about this, the subject that has to remain classified. Uh, but he talked about it. I just was invited to Washington, D.C. I just finished <clears throat> a couple weeks ago. I am probably the first person ever to go into the House of uh, Representatives office building and sit down for an hour with a sitting member of Congress and two cameras and interview him specifically on the subject of UFOs and UFO secrecy. I got an hour interview with Tim Burchett. There's going to be parts of it in the film. It's absolutely stunning. Um, so disclosure, 
No, uh, you know, Lou's book is going to come out. That's the next seminal thing. And then there's going to be a documentary that comes out with that. And it's going to have all of the, the, the big characters that, that normal filmmakers can't get to. They had a NASA people inside the body politic. And it's going to be this more, I told, I told Lou's representative, I said, he says, yeah, we're going to be making the definitive UFO film. And I'm like, you can't. You can't do it for one of two reasons. You're either not really read into what's going on or you don't know, or you do know, and you know you can't reveal that. So we're gonna to continue to get this, this spoon-fed new story. And it's like, okay, let's sweep everything under the rug that we've done in the past. Let's start with this new supposed naval interest and military interest in the topic that started in the early uh, turn of the century time. And let's forget about everything else. And then let's start figuring out how to come up with stories that are going to uh, justify, oh, look, we have this material. Oh, look, we have this. Oh, look, yeah, they are aliens. We just found out. So this is, uh, you know, it's being paraded in front of 7 billion people on the planet. It's, you know, it's the, the what we call today the big lie is nothing compared to this. And it's, it's, it's hard to watch as I'm making this film. Um, and, and I see these cross-reference things and I see people that I have a lot of respect for, uh, you know, continuing to tow a certain line. It's very hard to, it's, it's hard to watch. And, and people are going to watch this film and they're just going to shake their heads. It's like, you know, this is still going on. But the people that are doing it now, they, they, they can't hide. They're, they're going to have to be accountable. Well, we're going to have to end it there, I'm afraid, because I'm running out of time. Uh, but I think we've scratched the surface anyway on what's going on. We should on. do another one. I sent you the artwork for the for the cover, and I sent you a link to the trailer. You can't share the trailer link publicly. You could, you could it's what, just what, for trailer you. what trailer link? What trailer link? The the first look to my film. What trailer link? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm not allowed to distribute it publicly yet, but I can show it around. And you could, like, if we do another show, you could embed it in your show and play it for the audience. But we can't have people go into the link. All right. Well, let's uh, let's end it there. I want to thank you for taking an hour Thanks, of your Kevin. time today to talk about uh, UFOs with me. Um, next week, as I've said, we'll be talking about the Roswell case because we're running up on the anniversary, the 75th anniversary of the case. And I think it's important for us to discuss exactly where Roswell is today and what we understand about it, which was the point of the book, Understanding Roswell, that was uh, to come out with the 70th, 75th anniversary. I think there's some new information in there and some connections to the case that hadn't been made before. I think maybe these accidental truths that we were just talking about with, with Ron James. And I've been working on a book about 1973 because once again, as he was talking about this, I realized there were some accidental truths that I've been I've learned about the Pascagoula abduction with Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson, and that'll be out in in the future sometime. I haven't even finished the book. We'll be doing that next week. Following that, the the, the week following, I'm going to be talking to. Um, a fellow about the Yende letters, which was an important part of UFO history that is now completely gone. But he and I might be the two leading experts on that aspect of it at, uh, at this time. And we will have copies of the Varro Manufacturing book, and you'll understand all of this when you watch that program. So anyway, I want to thank you all for tuning in, watching us uh, discuss disclosure, watching us discuss UFOs. And I will be back in 167 hours with a new show. Thank you.